0: big bertha it's an iconic name some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf now the legend just got even easier to hit the new big bertha irons from callaway are powered by a suspended energy core a totally new construction to deliver easy launch long consistent distance with incredible sound and feel this is by far callaway's easiest to launch distance iron ever Get big-time distance now. Experience Big Bertha Irons today at your local golf shop or at CallawayGolf.ca. One newly appointed senator from Alberta is getting a crash course on politics, pipelines, and proper procedure. A Senate committee recently recommended the upper chamber shouldn't approve of Justin Trudeau's tanker ban and Senator Paula Simon's deciding vote sure-stoked controversy. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We sit down with the senator to talk about how the vote went down and why things got so heated. Don't forget, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Paula Simons is an independent senator for Alberta, also a former columnist for the Edmonton Journal, and she joins me here in studio. Now, Paula, this is a bit of a uh, divergence from our normal uh, <laughs> approach to this. This is the first time we've had a politician on the show. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to sit down and talk with me.
1: Well, of course, I've not been a politician for very long, and I have been a guest on Ten Three before in my previous incarnation as an Edmonton Journal columnist, and so I am very happy to be back in the Ten Three studios, Thanks which I know much. well.
0: <laughs> so, first off, why does everyone hate you? <laughs>
1: I promised Carson, our so I would not laugh loudly into the microphone. But uh, there, I, I pulled off my friend. I say, why does everyone hate me? I, I've been wondering this since since the first grade <laughs> playground days. Uh, why does everybody hate me this week? Yes, um, because I did something quite controversial last week. I made trouble. Um, I sit on the Senate Transport and Communications Committee, which mm-hmm. was charged with. Carrying out hearings and uh, making a recommendation on c forty eight, the so-called oil tanker moratorium. And I shocked everyone by casting the deciding vote in committee, not to kill the bill, but to decline to report the bill to the Senate, which means I cast the deciding vote that our committee said we do not recommend that the Senate goes forward with this legislation. I believe it's only the sixth time in the history of the Senate that a committee has refused to report a bill. And so that, that shocked a lot of people, mm-hmm. in, including a lot of conservatives.
0: So the committee can't kill a bill. It's no. a committee that over kind of does a little deeper dive on legislation that comes before the Senate and then decides, okay, this is Good uh, or we need amendments, or we just don't like this bill, right. right. So
1: typically, what a committee will do is have public hearings and they'll suggest amendments, and they'll vote on which amendments the committee endorses. And then they send a report to the Senate, and the Senate generally accepts the report. Maybe they accept some of the amendments, they don't accept others, and then it goes back to the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. So, our our Transport and Communications Committee took Bill C-48 very seriously. We conducted hearings not just in Ottawa, but we went to Prince Rupert and we went to Terrace, BC, and then we held hearings in Edmonton and in Regina, and we heard from hundreds of witnesses. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I had a very, very tough call to make as an independent senator from Alberta. I'm an independent senator. I'm not whipped. I'm not part of a party. I'm not part of a regulated caucus. And after listening to all the evidence and hearing from all the experts, I decided – I mean, the media report said I voted with the conservatives. I prefer to think that they voted with me.
0: (laughs) So Bill C-48 is one of two sides of a coin – that are kind of the most controversial things in front of the Senate right now. You have-
1: Oh, well, there, there are other ones, but these but, are the ones I think in Alberta yeah, that yeah, are the yeah. really so you hot have button issues. Bill
0: C-48, which is the tanker moratorium on BC's Northwest Coast. And you have Bill C-69, which to make it simple for people, it, it changes regulations for- It changes
1: the way we do environmental yeah. impact assessments and it changes the National Energy Board structure and name. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm also- On the Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Committee, which is looking at Bill C-69. I am the only Albertan on the Transport Committee looking at Mm C-48. And uh, I'm one of two Albertans because Patty Labakan Benson and I are both on uh, the Energy Committee. Uh, Neither of those committees had any Albertans before we got there. And I thought it was important that those committees have Albertans on them. You know, If I'd signed up to be on the Agriculture and Banking Committees, nobody would have interviewed me. But uh, (laughs) – But I, I put myself in the line of fire as a new Alberta senator on two bills that are really um polarizing and, and divisive in the nation and and are huge matters of concern in Alberta. And I've been working very, very hard to represent Albertans independently on both of those bills.
0: So what makes them so divisive and and controversial in Alberta, but also divisive nationwide? All
1: right, so let's start with C48 because it's the simpler piece of legislation. I say it's the so-called oil tanker moratorium because it isn't. Oh, it involves the waterways that are east of Haida Gwaii, you know, the Queen Charlotte Strait, um, the Hecate Strait, the waters that separate Haida Gwaii, the former Queen Charlotte Islands, from Mm -hmm. the mainland of BC. Okay. So, and it runs... It affects the territory from the northern tip of Vancouver Island all the way to the Alaska border. So the problem is that these are some of the most beautiful pristine waterways in the world, not just in Canada. It's an extraordinary ecosystem. It's the Great Bear Rainforest. It's the largest you know, salmon spawning grounds. These are really important areas to protect. And currently, there is a voluntary exclusion zone, uh, which the Americans honor, and so they do not tank oil from Alaska through those waters. Here's the problem. Canada claims sole jurisdiction over those waters. The Americans do not recognize our jurisdiction, nor does, frankly, anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so when Justin Trudeau gave the green light to TMX, the Trans Mountain expansion, part of the quid pro quo for that politically was to say to Northern BC, you know, I'm killing Northern Gateway. And because I know you love your coastline, you know, we'll go ahead with TMX and we'll put this tanker ban on the Northern BC coast, except. They can't actually ban tankers. They can't actually ban Russian or American or flag of convenience tankers because they don't have jurisdiction. So what they did instead was they came up with a plan to ban the loading and unloading of super tankers carrying a lot, a lot, a lot of oil. Um, so small, smaller tankers can go through, but bigger tankers can't load up. Okay. So the problem with that is – that one, it doesn't actually protect that straight from smaller tankers transiting through. Mm-hmm. It doesn't protect that straight from spills from tugboats or ferries or, or cargo ships. And two, it makes it impossible to build any new pipeline capacity to move Alberta crude or bitumen to new Pacific markets. Yeah. So with TMX still up in the air, if we pass C-48, it means there is no egress for Alberta oil product. Sure, people keep saying you could move refined product, but that doesn't really work economically or from a safety consideration. I mean, it's not it's not economic or practical mm-hmm. to move large amounts of refined gasoline from Alberta across the Rockies and over the Pacific Ocean. That's not what people want. Um, so at this point, uh, if C-48 were to pass, and if TMX is not approved, It means no more exports of Alberta oil to American markets through the Pacific and certainly none to Asia. Big problem.
0: In your McLean's piece, no, I haven't broken the Senate, you talked about originally intending to vote in favor of Bill C-48. And through these hearings, you changed your mind. What made you in favor of the bill initially and, and what from the testimony made you decide, no, this is not the way to go?
1: Well, I mean, I think of myself as an environmentalist. You will recall Jay Breckenridge when you were my boss here at the Edmonton <laughs> Journal. Um, I was the Edmonton Journal's sort of left of center political columnist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel very strongly about environmental issues and I feel very strongly about the need for us to deal with, with climate change. And so having come to the Senate fresh, I thought, well, I like spirit bears. I like orca whales. I believe in indigenous rights. Why wouldn't I support Bill C-48, not just because it's a government bill, but because I I believe in all of those environmental concerns. Mm -hmm. As I sat through the testimony, I had this growing disquieting sense that the government simply had not done their homework on this file. They were relying in many cases on studies done in 1978. Hmm. None of the government witnesses, the scientific experts or the technical experts could present us with a compelling scientific argument for why this ban was good public policy. The other thing that I grew more and more concerned about was when we heard testimony, particularly from indigenous uh, representatives from those areas, is how scant the emergency spill response already is there. Mm -hmm. And what I was really worried about is that the government would pass Bill C-48, pat itself on the back and say, well, we protected that area. When in fact, there's no protection functionally now. It takes up to 15 and longer hours to get an emergency response from from, uh, the Vancouver area up the coast if there's a major spill. And there have been major spills and near misses. Passing C-48 would only symbolically... Maintain the status quo. Okay. Since there are no Canadian, it, there, there is no pipeline there. So <laughs> C 48 doesn't provide any immediate protection at all. It yeah. protects against a future hypothetical risk and doesn't deal with the real and present danger that exists now. And so I came to realize this bill is almost entirely symbolic. What does it symbolize? Well, it's a gesture of reconciliation to First Nations along that coast, except the First Nations along that coast don't all agree with it. The Nisga Nation, Mm -hmm. which is the furthest north closest to Alaska, doesn't agree with the bill at all. It says it wasn't properly consulted. It will take the government to court if the bill passes. Hmm. It says it's a violation of their treaty rights, and they want the right to at least consider developing their own deep water port and their own pipeline reception capacity. Uh, The Laskolam First Nation is further south, just uh, north of Prince Rupert, Mm -hmm. they're divided. The elected chief favors a pipeline, the hereditary chiefs do not. And and so it goes down the coast. So you've got nations divided, families divided. If I really believed in this bill, I would come back to Albertans and I would say, look, I voted for a liberal bill that you hate. And guess what? Um, It's a good bill. And I did my duty to Canada and I voted for it. I could not come back to Alberta and say in good conscience, This bill is worth the sacrifice that it asks Albertans to make.
0: So what is the process in the committee? Like before it goes back to the Senate, the committee has done hearings on the bill and is reviewing... The bill and reviewing amendments to the bill and having a number of votes on it. So yeah, just so, break down that process I mean, a little. So,
1: so, I mean, what usually happens, the last bill the transport committee looked at dealt with shipwreck salvaging. We heard from uh, half a dozen witnesses. We accepted two amendments. We passed them unanimously. You know, the bill went to the Senate. da. Yeah. You know, so lots of what we do is bread and butter stuff. Uh, in this case, we held all these public hearings. This and C69 are the first times in the history of the Senate that the Senate has ever gone on tour for public hearings. So hmm. This is this is this is major public outreach. Um, we had 130 people come to our hearings in Prince Rupert. I mean, the room was packed. Mm-hmm. It was important that we did that. So we did the hearings. We had the meetings. We had very fractious debate. It's a very divided. Committee, Mm -hmm. Um, there's lots of politicking that goes on because, you know, I'm an independent, nonpartisan senator. The conservatives on that committee are not, not, are certainly not independent, and they're definitely not nonpartisan. So
0: and they're in lockstep, and they're they're in lockstep. They're in
1: lockstep because that's they're they're you know they're still playing hockey and the. Independent senators are doing free skating in the middle of the hockey game. It's it's very awkward. So, you know, they're they're playing a different game and for different reasons. And so, you know, they were some of them were so certain, I, I have to read this tweet because it makes me laugh. I pulled it up here so that I could read it to you. So, Senator Don Plett, who's the conservative whip, was so certain of how I was going to vote that before I voted, he tweeted out a link so that you could watch the live stream. You can tune into the live stream of the Senate Transport Committee to watch Alberta Senator Paula Simons as she sells out her province by voting for Bill C-48 to pass. Hashtag shameless. Uh Um, (laughs) So that's how certain Don Plett was that I was going to vote in favor Mm -hmm. of C-48. I don't know who was more shocked when I cast, you know, and it's decided it was very dramatic because my name starts with an S. So I was the last person to vote and I held – the power to, you know, it, it was like a West Wing episode. I held the power to <laughs> let the bill go forward or not. And to the shock of the stunned room, I said no. And I don't know who was more surprised—the you know, the, the liberal senator on the committee, or or Don Platt, who you know, I don't actually want to give the dear man apoplexy, but I, I may have I may have you know broken something. Um, it was. Was a very, I mean, I'm making light of it now. It was a very difficult vote to cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a very, I had a sleepless night the night before as I contemplated that I might have to do this. I mean, I was really hoping I wouldn't have to. I was really hoping we could get some amendments passed that would make the bill palatable. I wanted an amendment that would would exempt the Nisca territory, Mm -hmm. give them the right to decide whether or not they wanted to go ahead with a port and a pipeline, which would at least have given Alberta some access. I wanted, I supported an amendment which would have said C-48 didn't come into effect until after TMX was sort of, you know, a go. Well on the way. Well on on the way, which had we my colleague, Julie Mideau-De who's the, uh, uh, I I adore her. She's the independent uh, Senate uh, uh, deputy chair of the committee. We worked hard together on amendments. Um, She and I couldn't get enough ISG senators to agree. And the conservatives simply refused to pass any amendments, even amendments that were... The amendments that they, that they, I mean, we'd worked with them. There's a there's a great conservative senator, Dennis Patterson. Judy and I had worked with him on wording for amendments. Judy and Dennis had worked really closely, and in the end, the conservatives pulled all their amendments and refused to support any of ours. And at that point, I I, I couldn't I couldn't turn around and say to Albertans, I support this bill. You know, trust me on this. I, yeah. I just couldn't.
0: Now that tweet from Don Platt, <laughs> kind of, it created. a, I was watching, following it. Some of what was going on on Twitter that, uh, <laughs> as the vote was votes were happening, and I saw that tweet from Don Plett. I think you may have retweeted it, or oh, someone, I, no, or someone no, else.
1: B- b- Brett, Brett Wilson, oh, yes. who's from Dragons Dead. I mean, th- so I mean, there was this whole. I wasn't looking. I mean, for once in my life, I would like you to know, former boss. For once in my life, I was not. Actually, looking at Twitter, I was actually paying attention yeah. to what was going on in the room. I didn't see all these tweets until later. Um, so while I'm while I'm while I'm doing this, people are screaming on Twitter. Oh, she's a sellout! Oh, she should resign! Oh, you know, why are we paying for her rations? She's a fat pig. I never know. I have put on a little weight since I joined the Senate. I have no idea why people think that affects the way I vote. I don't know. When I get hangry, I guess it's a problem, but, um, uh, you know, so people are just screaming blue murder and then, you know after even after i cast the vote even for like another 48 hours the cognitive dissonance was that like, people just couldn't wrap their heads around it and then it took about a 48 hour delay for environmentalists to realize that i had in fact betrayed them and oh. so so then came the angry angry tweets from the environmentalists who wanted to know how much money i was taking from big oil uh the answer is none uh you know, and why I met with so many oil lobbyists and no environmental lobbyists. The answer is that's not true. I met with about an equal number yeah. uh, from from industry and from environmental groups. Uh, so, you know, and then I have ISG colleagues, members of the Independent Senate Group, who are not very happy with me because. We're in this weird position. We're not a caucus. We don't have a leader. We're not whipped. On the other hand, there's a real concern that if independent senators flex their independence too hard, we put the whole independence experiment at risk.
0: Because the the idea is in the past, the the chamber of sober second thought in some ways was a rubber stamp group, right? That they, they voted, they didn't do, go against the governing party. They didn't.
1: Uh, I mean, they did. I mean, there are are key and important times in history when that was not true. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the the abortion debate is one of those times. Um, GST is one of those times. Uh, You know, certainly there have been times when the Senate has said no. Yeah. They don't happen very often. And the reason why was either the government had the majority of senators, in which case the government whipped those senators and they did what the government told them to do for the most part. Or if – if the opposition party always knew, because there were never any new Democrat senators, there were conservatives and liberals. So you always knew if you were on the outs that eventually you'd be back on the ins. So you don't want to start a precedent of the Senate. I mean, this isn't America where the Senate routinely rejects legislation. I mean, it's extraordinarily rare here. Mm-hmm. So. If we're going to go forward with a model of all independent senators and they're not going to be whipped, then the question becomes, legitimately, how does the government move its legislative agenda forward? You can't have the independent Senate backseat driving every piece of legislation and say, yeah, you know, I don't love this. I wouldn't, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing snarls up if we're yeah. constantly, you know, up on our hind legs saying no, you can't do this. Uh, but. There is a longstanding Senate precedent that says that the senators are there to protect the interests of their regions. Mm -hmm. So we're there to protect minority rights. We're there to protect regional rights. And I felt that I had a twofold constitutional... I mean, one, I'm defending Alberta from legislation that is grossly prejudicial to Alberta's key industry. And two, I'm also, I think, legitimately speaking up for First Nations along the BC coast who don't support... I mean, I I don't think the federal government went through its full duty to consult with all of those First Nations. I think they heard from the ones who legitimately and passionately support the ban um, without maybe giving due attention to those who don't.
0: Now, this goes to a full vote in the Senate, as it were, soon. Soon?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, you know, the conservatives, frankly... The Conservatives don't have anything like the votes to kill this bill. Mm -hmm. And even – there are certainly other independent senators. I don't want you to think it's just the Albertans. Um, There are other independent senators from Quebec, from the Maritimes, who also have a lot of questions about this bill. It's not great legislation. It just isn't. Is there a hypothetical mathematical possibility it could fail in the Senate? Yeah, but I I think that's very unlikely.
0: So it'll go back to Parliament for third reading.
1: What will happen now is we will write our report. We will argue about what the report should say. Um, the conservatives will attempt to drag out that process as long as possible because their only play here is to rag the puck. Mm -hmm. I mean, they want to strategically, and this is perfectly legitimate. I mean, I don't happen to, you know, their, their legitimate aim as the opposition is to impede the legislation to the best of their abilities. So they want to drag it out so that it has the potential to die on the order paper at the end of June, or to just make it so complicated that the government will say, you know what, we've got more important things to do. This is a largely symbolic piece of legislation about a threat that doesn't yet exist. And frankly, if we get Bill C-69 right, and we get proper environmental assessment laws, any future port or future pipeline would still need to go, I mean, it's not like they would get rubber stamped, they'd have to go through a proper impact assessment. Mm -hmm. So you know, the federal government could legitimately say, you know what, we tried, we promised, this is not our hill to die on. Or they could say this was core to our mandate. We promised this to the First Nations of Northern BC and we're going to push through no matter what. Um, so I haven't broken the Senate. I haven't killed the bill. Um, I have created something that maybe you know, someone can write a master's thesis about 20 years from now. Um, and then perhaps they'll listen to this audio tape and, and think that woman laughed a lot for somebody who was, you know, destroying democracy. Well, the Senate
0: appointment is for quite a while. So you have plenty of time to, to break <laughs> well, the Senate.
1: I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'm, I I'm, have 21 years to either wreck this or, you know, make a complete public ass of myself.
0: Well, it's fascinating to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit on some of the minutiae of an arm of government that people don't always think very deeply about. So, Paula, I, I appreciate you coming in here. Thanks for your time.
1: Thanks very much, Dave.
0: 10-3 is produced by Carson Drama. Special thanks to my guest, Paula Simons. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.